Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Isn't he good? Yes, he is. Yes, he is.
Um, in a nutshell, she basically just said she knows that God is trying to do something. Amen. And I just believe that as well. I know that he's trying to do something in this house, and I, I just love how he's moving um, in my life. I, I have never been, and y'all know that I love the word, but I have never been more excited to read my word as I have been the past couple of weeks. And just how God is how God is talking to me and the lesson that he's given me and just the desire and the, and the fire to not only want to read his word, but to share it and share it in a way where people just like just run away or, or walk away from a conversation that they had with me feeling like, they can make it or that they know that God is near. That's like yes. how I feel. That's the desire of my heart right now. Amen. And so I know that we've been in this series in times of distress and we are over halfway through the alphabet. I'm moving to O on today. And for um and for the word for today, we are using um using the title openness. Lord. Openness. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. And, um Amen. my first question is, what are you open to? What are you open to? Um, we can be open to so many different things, meaning, you know, just receptive. So some synonyms, not blocked up, not shut, not closed, unlocked, unbolted, unlatched, unfastened. And I even like the word, the last word I got to say, agape. And it made me think about agape. It made me think about that unconditional love. So openness has, has to do so much with what are you receptive of? What are you allowing to come in and not be blocked or what, you know, instead of being closed off, what have you just opened yourself up to? You know, and you can either be open to the world on today or you can be open to God. Mm -hmm. And so last Sunday when God was just talking to us about that word trust, you know, and that word nurture. And um, so for those who were not here are going to get a chance to listen to the sermon. God was telling us that to trust him or to have faith. When you look at it in the Hebrew, it means to be nurtured. To, to have faith and trust is to be nurtured like a little baby. Um, God defines it as being held, to be carried in one's arms. So when we talk about being trust or, or, or trusting God, are you open to trusting God on today? Or are you blocked up, shut up, closed up, locked up, bolted up, latched up, fastened up? Right? Are you open to him loving you and caring you? Are you open to trust God on today? Or are you all of those words that I just used? Mm -hmm. Amen. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, last Sunday I was so I was so excited and it was so much word that I could not finish. But I want to pick up where I stopped and I'm going to be um, using Whoa. Psalms 32, Psalms 51. And I also want to talk about the narrative of David and Bathsheba. But while I was going through school, I read this book called The Psalms Speak for Us. And the whole basis, like the, the basis of that book was um, it was kind of just like a commentary that explained each psalm in detail. But the main part that I want y'all to grab onto today as I'm going through these psalms is do you realize that, you know, a lot of times we read these things as just like as, as poems or we read them in isolation. But really what, what we're reading is we're reading to someone who has actually lived through, someone who has actually lived through this pain or this grief or this whatever it is that they are expressing. Like an actual person is writing down his, his or her feelings and, it, and it's coming out like that. 
So when we read the 23rd Psalm, I think about my son in the back. That's his favorite. When you read, so that, that song, when, when David is saying, you know, yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, King Saul was actually trying to take his life. Yes, yes, yes. Was actually trying to take his life. And so in Psalm 32, this is David once again um, talking to God, opening himself up to God as he normally does. But he's talking to the Lord after having uh, basically took advantage of Bathsheba and had her husband killed. Amen. Amen. So Psalm 32 Verses 1 through 11, and y'all can remain seated unless you just feel the need to sing. Amen. It reads, happy are those whose sins are forgiven, whose wrongs are pardoned. Happy is the one whom the Lord does not accuse of doing wrong and who is free from all deceit. When I did not confess my sins, I was worn out from crying all day long. Day and night, you punish me, Lord. My strength was completely drained as moisture is dried up by the summer heat. Then I confessed my sins to you. I did not conceal my wrongdoings. I decided to confess them to you, and you forgave all my sins. So all your loyal people should pray to you in times of need. When a great flood of trouble comes rushing in, it will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will save me from trouble. I sing aloud of your salvation because you protect me. The Lord says, I will teach you the way you should go. I will instruct you and advise you. Do not be stupid like a horse or a mule, which must be controlled with a bit and brittle to make it su submit. Amen. 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 So much in that song, y'all. So much in that song. How many of you, how many of you are holding on to things and you're worn out from crying? Even if the tears don't come out your eyes, you are worn out from crying all the day long. You are completely drained of your strength. And it's a particular, that fourth verse, it says, day and night you punish me. And that's a big thought because I, as I was doing this, y'all got to remember that last Sunday, one of the vivid things I remember while preaching was I told you all and God told us that he is not trying to get us. Yeah, right? He's not trying to get us. So I said, well, God, if you're not trying to get us, why does it say right here that day and night you punish? Day and night you punish. And so what I just read to you is the good news translation. But to understand what David is really saying in his verse, when you read the King James Version, it reads, day and night his hand was upon me. His hand was upon me. So here's the visual that I want you to have. Envision God's hand upon you, but not in the sense of him whooping you, right? Not in the sense of him whooping you. Imagine you coming to the altar and God lays his hands on you to pray for you. To pray for you. And so what David is saying was, when I was in my wrongdoing, when I did not, when I did not confess my sins to you, you laid your hands on me. So think about those feelings. All the many times you have come to the altar 
burning and needing God to do something, and you feel just this pain or this whatever in your in your heart, and you know you've done wrong or whatever it is that you're struggling with, imagine, and, and that's that's what it means to come to Jesus. God is laying his hands on you, right? And as God is praying or laying his hands on you, this is a prayer for your deliverance. Right? This is a prayer for your deliverance. So watch this. So when we are in times of distress, when we are in times of distress or when things in our life are going wrong, don't look at it as God trying to punish you. Look at it as God is praying for you. Let me say that again. When everything in your life is going wrong, look at that as God is praying for you. He is laying his hand on you, right? And he's praying that you would be delivered. When then, not when everything going right. When everything is going wrong, he's laying his hands on you to pray for you that you would that you would be delivered. So the pressure that we feel, right? When we were talking about trust last week. So the pressure that we feel is God's hand on us saying, trust me to carry you through this. So many times when we come to the altar and we bring in whatever it is to God, it's like and we just feel this weight. Or we feel ourselves fighting against what God is trying to do. That weight is his hand on you saying, trust me to carry you. Trust me to nurture you. Open yourself up and let me in. Right? To push his hand away. So imagine you come into the altar for prayer and God lays his hand on you. But instead of automatically feeling this relief, you feel like this weight of your wrongdoing and all this pressure. And you start thinking about all the, you know, just... I'm wrong, right? You feel this. Instead of pushing his hand away, open yourself up to that feeling. Open yourself up to that feeling to be contrite, to be remorseful, to be sorry, to want something different, to feel different, to be different, to be new. Open yourself. A lot of times we don't want to feel the weight of all that because we don't know what that means. You know, so many times I, if I have prayed for people, or I'm pretty sure you have come across a person, you know, when they see somebody fall out and they be thinking, is that real? They can't really see themselves in that in that position. They can't see themselves, right? They can't see they can't see that being them. Or even while somebody's praying for them, instead of hearing what God is saying, they are they thinking in their head, I'm not gonna shout. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to fall. Yeah. I'm gonna, like, they, instead of just opening up to Lord, what is it that you're trying to do? Amen. And so that weight that you feel, that weight, right? It Like diamonds, everything is made by pressure. That's his hand. A lot of times when things are going wrong in our life, we think, man, God is punishing. But God is not out to get us. He just put, he, he's, he's putting his hand on us. He's putting his hand on us. Amen. To pray for us, to deliver us. Amen. So I began to think like, I was like, okay, God, so it's not as simple as saying, you know, suffering or something like cancer or somebody was abused because they are sinners. Think about that now. When something goes wrong in a person's life, we be thinking, oh, they must not be living right. Because everything is going wrong in their life. But y'all got to connect with what God said to us last week to this. It's not that it's not that easy and that's insensitive. 
The truth is that all, yes, evil exists because of sin, mm -hmm. but the good news is that Jesus died to defeat sin. Yes. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but should have mm -hmm. everlasting life. Mm -hmm. So because of this, I have to trust Jesus to save me from my sins. But the trust is so big, it's like, Lord, not only, it's like, and so, let me slow down and tell you what I mean by that. Mm -hmm. I have to trust Jesus to save me from my sins, but the trust is even bigger. We need, I need deliverance from evil. So here is, and think about the Lord's prayer. Deliver us from evil. So many times we try to um, compartmentalize our sin. Right? So if Jesus saves you from lust, does that automatically mean you're not a liar? Mm -hmm. Or if he, or if he, if he stops you from lying, does that mean now your heart is clean from lust, right? And so, so many times we focus on one or two sins in our life when really we need to be praying from deliverance from evil, mm -hmm. from our evil, mm -hmm. from our evil. Evil is the real problem. It's the root that drove us to the feelings in the first place. Mm -hmm. Y'all understand? Evil is the problem. It's the root that drove you to the problem. So when you ask yourself, why am I lustful, right? <laughs> why am I lustful? Something drove you to be lustful. Right, right. And whatever it is that drove you, or whatever it is that you thought you were lacking, or whatever it is you thought you had to go, go find, that's because you did not trust God enough to give it to you. So it all comes back down to the, to the first commandment. You should have no other God before you. That's what it all comes back to. So that whole, that whole, I hope this is making sense. The whole prayer when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. Give us this day our daily bread, right? That manner. And deliver us from evil. We like to name our sins, but in God's eyes, it's all evil. It's all evil. It's all wickedness of the heart and another mind. It's all evil. So the example that I want to use to bring this home is 2 Samuel chapter 12. When David did what he did to Bathsheba, mm -hmm. David called it sin. Mm -hmm. David called it sin. David says, um, let me read this to you. This is the ninth verse. Why then have you disobeyed my commands? Why did you do this evil thing? You had Uriah killed in battle. You let the Ammonites kill him, and then you took his wife. That's Nathan speaking to David. So in that chapter, after David did all that he did, he went to the Lord and he confessed. Mm -hmm. And that's what I read to you in, in, in Psalm 32. He went to the Lord and confessed. And he said, Lord, I have sinned against you. But when the prophet spoke to him, he called it evil. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is the prophet wanted him to know like David, like, I can forgive you for what you did to Bathsheba. And I can forgive you what you did to Uriah. But the problem is bigger than just that one thing, those things that you did to them. You got a hard problem. It's, it's, not that, it's not so much that you did these things. It's that it was in your heart to do them in the first place. It is because it was in your heart to do them in the first place. Thank you, Lord. I have sinned against the Lord, David said. Nathan replied, the Lord forgive you. You will not die. 
But because you have shown such contempt for the Lord in doing this, your child will die. So God is ready, and that's the thing that we don't understand. God is ready to forgive us. And we talked about, like I keep saying, y'all got connected to last week now. God is ready to forgive us for our sins, right? God said, I'll forgive you. You will not die. There's going to be a consequence for your actions regardless. But I also need you to know that there's an evil problem that's going on here. And, 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 they, and God said, you're not going to die, but your child will die. And then the funny that I had the question from last week, is God good in this situation? Our contempt for God Nathan told David, because of your contempt for the Lord, our contempt for God is the real sin. Our contempt for God is the real sin. And it's what drove us to do those things in the first place. Humanity has disregarded its need for God. No matter what the sin is, the root is you disregarded God. Regardless of what your issue is, it's contempt for the Lord. It's contempt. So when we say we're born into sin, it's describing the life that we are born into. And this is where I want to read to y'all Psalm 51. And I'm almost done, y'all. I'm almost done. This is Psalm 51. So when you read Psalm 51, this is the prayer. This is the prayer that David says after he's confronted about his sins. Right? So Psalm 32 is the prayer that David goes and like God basically he starts telling the Lord I'm sorry I did it wrong and all of that right? Mm -hmm. And that's how we are sometimes. We know we do wrong and we go and we go say a prayer and say God I'm sorry but God hasn't gave us the consequence yet right? <laughs> he hasn't given us the consequence yet. We, we, we preemptively saying I'm sorry and you know I feel bad because the weight we feel his hand. David felt his hand. He felt God's hand on him. And so when we see like when we start to and it's a prayer of deliverance. Y'all understand? So he says this. He says this prayer and he feels God's hand on him and it leads him to say like I can't sleep. I can't eat. I'm crying all night. I don't want to feel this way. He ain't even got the consequence yet. But then Nathan gives him a consequence somewhere in Psalm 51. David goes back in the hands. And so, before I read this, the question is, does your prayer change once God gives you the consequence? Does your prayer change up? Is he still good once he gives you the consequence? And so, after David hears, you know, you're not going to die, but your child is going to die. Is God good in the situation? You might be thinking, how you gonna kill the child? The child that had nothing to do with it, not even realizing that he just spared your life. He could have killed you. But we think, oh, that's the God. He's not good. He's not loving. Why would you take a child? When he's like, I'm the giver of life, I gave the child. So it's nothing for me to take the child back with me. I can just take the child back with me. You you tripping because I just spared your life. And if you had to die in your sins, you would have been on your way to hell and the child would have been with me in heaven. So when David hears this, when he hears this, he says, 
Be merciful to me, O God, because of your constant love, because of your great mercy. Wipe away my sins. Wash away. He's going to get it now. He's starting to his division. He starts to understand what's really keeping him out of the presence of the Lord. Wash away all my evil and make me clean from my sins. You see that it's two parts to that, right? Wash away all my evil and cleanse me from my sins. I recognize my faults. I am always conscious of my sins. I have sinned against you only and against you and done what you consider evil. So you are right in judging me. You are justified in condemning me. Y'all hear him? You are right. So when God allows something to happen to you, consider that that's his hand on you and he's praying for you that you would be delivered because if you die in your sin, you won't know where to live. David said, you were right in judging me. You are justified in condemning me. And I love the part where he say, I have sinned against you and you won't. Right? This speaks to this speaks to last week how God, when God was talking to us about forgiveness and being able to forgive. So as sinners, y'all recognize that we sin and we and God showed us it, that we sin against each other. Right? So it's like bad people doing stuff to bad people. So when we commit sins, even though we are hurting each other, the real person that we make it look bad is the good God who has never done anything to us. Because most of the time when we hurt other people, if we really look in the mirror, we deserve to be hurt in some other kind of way because we hurt somebody else. We really are getting back with what we have sown. We don't like to look at it that way, but really we have. So the one person who is actually getting something that they don't deserve is God. Who Jesus, who was blameless, who took on all them sins for the whole world, everybody wrongdoing, and didn't deserve it. That's why David says, I have sinned against you when you only, even though, but you could be, but you did that to Rashid, you did that to, and I began to think like, as I was studying this, and he killed Uriah, I said, okay, so he got Uriah killed. Does anybody know whether Uriah was a good husband or not? Do you know whether he treated Rashid was good or not? Did he, did, he, did he cultivate him? Did he abuse him? Did he beat him? Did he cuss him? Did he provide for him? We know he was a good soldier. But does that mean he was a good husband? How do we know he, that what happened to him wasn't coming to him anyway? Does that, does that make it right that David did what he did? No. But do, does that mean that Uriah was good? We don't know. And that's why last Sunday God told us that only, only, only God can declare who's innocent. And we're not innocent by what we do. We're innocent by what we believe. David says, I have been evil from the day I was born, from the time I was conceived. I have been sinful. Sincerity and truth are what you require. Fill my mind with your wisdom. Remove my sin and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be white as snow. Let me hear the sounds of joy and gladness. And though you have crushed me, and though you have crushed me and broken me, I will be happy once again. 
So when God gives you the consequence, or when we live through the consequence of sin, is that do we have a Psalm 51 prayer? Close your eyes to my sins and wipe out all my evil. Create a pure heart in me, O God, and put a new and loyal spirit in me. Do not banish me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. Now put all the pieces together. Look at verse 11. Do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. David is not just saying that because he like he's afraid. He has actually witnessed what this looks like. Because King Saul, King Saul had the spirit of the Lord stripped from him. So David knows what it looks like to be to be to have favor, to have a calling, to yes, be in yes, the presence yes. of the Lord yes. and to see what sin and witchcraft and I die. He knows what that looks like. Amen. And so he's not just concerned about, I want to make up for this one wrong thing that I did to Bathsheba and Uriah. I want to make up for all. Like, I need you to take all the evil away from me. Yes. And Lord, don't take your spirit Amen. away from me. Amen. Amen. Give me again the joy that comes from your salvation. And make me willing to obey you. And then, then I will teach sinner your commands and they will turn back to you. That 13th verse is, is the reason why so many ministries are ineffective in getting people to turn away from their sin. Because the person who is preaching has not said that 13th verse. Or they have not said this prayer. They have not confessed their own sins, but they're trying to preach to other people about what it means to be saved or love Jesus. Thinking that they fooling somebody, but man don't save man. Only the Spirit saves man. So if the Spirit not preaching, nobody going to get saved. So because David, because David, so I, I hope y'all understand it, like, because David opened himself up like this, now God is like, I can use you. And this is why the scripture says that David was a man after God's own heart. And, and after does not mean like God's heart. It means he was chasing after God's heart. Like, I'm running after his heart. Yeah, yeah. He's a man that was chasing after God's heart. So after he confessed all of this, that 13th verse, which 13 is rebellion, and 13th verse is what allows David to say, then once you clean me up, then I can teach sin of your commands. So I can't teach y'all, I can't preach or teach y'all nothing that I'm not willing to or, or have lived through or not willing to live through. Right? I can't preach something that I haven't lived or or not willing to go through. So David says, spare my life, O God, and save me, and I will gladly proclaim your righteousness. Help me to speak, Lord, and I will praise you. You do not want sacrifices, or I would offer them to you. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. My sacrifice is a humble spirit. My sacrifice, so that goes back to the Sermon on the Mount. That's the very first, the very first five and one. My sacrifice, that's Romans 12. My sacrifice, you know, 12, one and two. My sacrifice, my reasonable service is that I would have a humble heart. 
O God, be kind to Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with proper sacrifices and with thy burnt offerings and with bulls will be sacrificed on your altar. So do you understand, like, David is saying, he's saying, God is not going to build nothing until we open ourselves up to repentance. Yeah. Till we open ourselves up to trust him fully. Yeah. Till we open up ourselves to confession. Yeah. After David has done all this confession in that 18 verse, when he says, God be kind to Zion and help rebuild her walls. God is not going to build nothing in your life. He don't want none of your sacrifices. He wants you. He yeah. wants you to be open to him before anything gets built or repaired or fixed. And that's why so many of us walk around with half-built walls and half-built strength. Because we have not openly confessed. Amen. Amen. And so I close with Galatians 3, y'all. I close with Galatians 3, verses 1 to 9. And this is Paul talking to the Galatians. He says, you foolish Galatians, who put a spell on you? Before your very eyes, you had a clear description of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Tell me this one thing. Did you receive God's spirit by doing what the law requires or by hearing the gospel and believing? Put yourself in those in the shoes of the Galatians. Because I'm thinking about myself. Mm-hmm. It's basically asking, did you clean yourself up <laughs> before you got saved? Mm-hmm. Or did God just save you mm-hmm. and then start cleaning you up? Mm-hmm. Which one was it? Mm-hmm. Right? How can you be so foolish? You began by God's spirit. Mm-hmm. Do you not want to finish by your own power? Right? Your own power didn't save you, so why are you trusting in it now to finish the work? It didn't save you in the first place. So why are you trusting in your own strength now? Why why, why are you closing yourself away from God now? Why are you locking down everything he's trying to fix? Why aren't you open to him now? Did all your experience mean nothing at all? Right? Who wants to get that? Who wants to get the judgment day and every single thing that you went through, all the hurt, all the pain, is in vain? Right? Who wants it to be in vain? Because Jesus just told us everything that we're going through right now is really his hand of deliverance on us. He's praying us through it. Right? He's praying us through it. Did all this experience mean nothing? Surely it meant something. Does God give you the spirit and work miracles among you because you do what the law requires and because you hear, or because you hear the gospel and believe in it? So when God does something, when he does the, the miraculous, when he, when he cures from cancer, or when he saves you in a car accident, or he gives you a baby even though you should have been buried, when he delivers somebody, y'all seen y'all have seen miracles and wonders. So when he does that, is he doing that because you've been doing everything right and he's rewarding you for all your goodness? Or was it because of the gospel? 
and you believed mm -hmm. that he could. So tying it all back together, consider the experience of Abraham. As the scripture says, he believed God. And because of his faith, God accepted him as righteous. Mm -hmm. You should realize then that the real descendants of Abraham, right? The real descendants of Abraham are the people who have faith. That's the seventh verse. So I've been watching a lot of stuff by, by black uh, Israelites. Right? So for everybody walk around like who who is a child of God? Who's child who's God's chosen people? It's the people who have faith. Amen. Regardless. Amen. Regardless of what color the first believer was. Regardless. Regardless. The people who have faith. The descendants of Abraham, they're not descendants because of their blood. They're descendants because of their faith. They don't share. We don't share in the promises of God because of the color of our skin. We share in the promises of God because of our faith. The scripture predicted that God would put the Gentiles right with himself through faith. So right at this point in my life, it don't matter whether I'm a, a Jew, I'm an African, I'm a black, or whatever, a Jew or a Gentile. At this point in my life, it doesn't, that don't matter to me. And the more I study, the more it doesn't matter to me. Because God has promised that he will put anybody who believes in him right with himself through faith. And so the scripture announced the good news to Abraham. Through God, or through you, God will bless all people. Abraham believed and was blessed. So all who believed are blessed as he was. Amen. 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 Just convinced that we have to trust. Yeah. Like this whole religion is built on faith. It's built on faith. So when I when I study like skepticism and or I look at it from the scientific perspective, or I look at it through race, or I consider evil in the world, it's like it all come back down to. Is God good? Do you believe that God is good? And when I consider all of that stuff and science and all of that stuff, at the end of the day, when I see, like, I find faults with science. I find faults with politics. I find fault with money. I find fault in other people. I find fault in systems and institutions. But when I think about God, I can't find no fault. I can't find no fault. 
And so with all our wisdom, make sure you get understand. Understand. Amen. Amen.